right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts chapter 16 once again. Finish up the uh, Philippian, the journey to Philippi by Paul and Silas and, come on now, Paul, Silas, oh man, we'll have to, what's that? Another guy, all right, I'll let y'all let that stew a few minutes and somebody will yell it out here in a second. No, Paul, si- there's four of them, Paul, Silas, Barnabas, it went with Mark, remember? Paul, Silas, not Luke, that's one, and Timothy, correct, Timothy, very good. All right, interestingly enough, it's not, uh, as far as we know, uh, Timothy and... Um, and Luke are not in, in jail at this point, but um, just Paul and Silas, which is interesting because they're also the ones who are Roman citizens, and the others aren't, as far as we know. Um, so uh, anyhow, let's start in verse number 19 of Acts chapter 16. We will read down through verse number 40. We've already read part of this, so this should be very familiar. The Bible says, And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them out, uh, brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Now, you see the word magistrate, just as a side note, you see the word magistrate and you think, okay, a magistrate, you know, whoop de doo But the word that is translated magistrate, and this, this shows over and over and over again in the book of Luke, that Luke was not only present, but Luke was informed. In other words, Luke uses the right term to describe uh, the, the office of the person making this decision. Uh, I, I mentioned this before in other times, but if, if, um, if, you were to, if someone were to, uh, were to come, come to the United States and describe a court setting or a politician, or if they were to describe, you know, uh, like, for instance, in Cambodia, they have, a, they have a prime minister. So if they were to come to the United States and speak of the prime minister of the United States, we would know that they don't know what they're talking about. In other words, they're foreign to it, right? Luke uses the exact term that was used in this period to describe this level of, a, of an officer. And all of that demonstrates that Luke was a, it is a first-person account of all the things that happened, and Luke was well-informed. So these are little sidelights in the Scripture that, uh, that remind us that this is history. This is, not, this is not some invented history. This is actual, for good or for bad, this is what really happened. So the Bible says in Acts 16, continuing in verse number, um, where was that? Okay, verse number 20. Uh, verse 21, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together uh, against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight... Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. 
But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them unto his ha- into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. You see how many times the word house is, this, is found in here? House, 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 his house, their house, all, the, all of his house. It's mentioned over and over and over and over. That's an important, important thing to note as you read. And when it was day, the magistrates uh, sent the sergeants, saying, let, these, lo- let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this, saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to, to let you go. Now, therefore, depart. And go in peace. And, but Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily. But let them come out, come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they, brought, and they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. All right, let's pray once again. Our Lord, thank you for the time once again to look in your word. Thank you for those that are here. Thank you for those that are listening, whose whose heart is inclined to you to hear your word tonight. And I pray, Father, that you would instruct them and teach them, Lord, your will, your ways, your truth. And which is the truth. And we pray for your blessing upon our service tonight. Lord, please. Help us, help me to, to say the things that, that your people need to hear, to strengthen them, to exhort them, to help them, to confirm them. And I pray to help them and help us all to receive the word. And it would be a good time of fellowship around your word tonight and that we go away encouraged in, uh, in the truth of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see this uh, interesting interesting fact play out with Paul and the dynamic of of his and Silas' uh, citizenship. Now, you might think when you think of a citizenship, you know, remember, you can't take your ideas, I can't take my ideas of what we understand and and our our culture and our way of life and read them into the Bible. It'll, It'll lead us astray every single time. So what we have to do is we have to do a little bit of research and we have to find out what is meant by being a Roman citizen. Now, the word citizen's not here, but they do say, for instance, verse 21 says, neither to observe being Romans. And then in, uh, and then verse number, um, verse 37, they have beaten us openly uncondemned being Romans. Now, what, what does it matter that they're Romans? Now, it's just like, it's just like as an American, someone might be a Jew ethnically, right? Their bloodline is a Jew, but they have American citizenship. Or, or someone might, like we talked at lunch, we talked with a fellow who, who, whose family is from Mexico, right? But he's an American. So he's a Mexican-American. And, uh, and so you have this ethnic, you have the ethnic part, and then you have the citizenship part. Now in America, our citizenship is something that by law is acquired at birth. So if you're born within the boundaries of the United States or any of its territories, or you're born abroad, like, like a couple of our kids were, to two U.S. citizen parents, 
then your child is, you and your child are citizens at birth, right? This is not the way it was in Rome. This is not the way it was in Rome. Now, it, it could be this way in Rome, but if, if a, a man who is a citizen of Rome and a woman who is a citizen of Rome got a legal Roman marriage, right? They're both citizens and they performed the ceremonies and the, the duties necessary to get legal Roman marriage, then their children would then be citizens. Otherwise, they would not be. So there are many places in the Roman Empire over which Roman exercised control Many, many people. Think of pretty much all of Palestine, all of Israel, right? Where, where the Lord, the Lord Jesus was, he was not a Roman citizen. He was, that's why he was crucified, all right? So uh, one of the reasons, anyway. So as a Roman citizen, just like an American citizen, as a Roman citizen, by law, Paul and Silas were guaranteed rights under these conditions, all right, the magistrates, as you saw what happened, the magistrates just flew into a rage and uh, stirred up by the lies of the, of the covetous idolaters who loved money more than this girl they're using, who loved money more than anything else and wanted to, wanted to be vindictive to Paul and Barnabas and didn't care what happened to them. These people uh, assumed that Paul and Silas, did I say Barnabas? Sorry, Silas. I'll get that right maybe in chapter 20 or so. Um, these people assumed that Paul and Silas were not Roman citizens, but they were. They were. Paul was a citizen that was born to citizens in the, in the province of Cilicia, where Tar, uh, Tarsus was. And we've already covered that. But what that meant is that Paul was, just, was not just like any commoner. With that citizenship came certain rights and privileges. Now listen to this, and you'll see this is important in just a minute. Here's the, here's the rights that Roman citizens, uh, several of the rights that Roman citizens have, and some of these are going to sound familiar to you, okay? And then we'll go through some verses that demonstrate some of these things. Roman citizens had a right to a trial when they were accused of a crime, which meant they had a right to face their accuser, to hear the accusation, and to defend themselves with counsel if necessary or if, or if, they, if they, they desire to. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? See, our legal system is derived in part from the Roman legal system, okay? The Roman, uh, a Roman citizen had the right to protection from corporal punishment. Now, not as children. The children, they didn't have any protection. But as a, as a, as a legal punishment... A Roman citizen would not be given corporal punishment. What happens to these to Paul and Silas? They have no trial. They fly into a frenzy and beat them, which is corporal punishment. In two ways, they have violated their, uh, they have violated their, their rights as Romans. Number three, the Romans had a right to protection from torture. This is one reason why Romans could not be crucified. Because not only were they put to death, but they were also put to death in a way in which torture was applied. That was not permitted for Roman citizens. Number four, they had a right to appeal a magistrate decision. And we'll see this in just a minute. So if you didn't like what the magistrate, in this case right here, this magistrate, in, in Latin is called the praetor. If you didn't like what he said, you could appeal uh, to have someone higher, up, higher than, than, than he uh, make the decision on the matter. And then lastly, the Roman citizen had a right to die 
a Roman death. So if he was condemned by law in a, in a trial, he had a right to, to choose to die a Roman death, which meant usually he would be beheaded rather than crucified or some other form of uh, a worse form of execution. So those are the Roman, uh, uh, those, are, those are some of the facets of the Roman uh, rights as a Roman citizen. Now look at chapter 21 of Acts. We'll come back to 16 in just a second. Look at chapter 21, verse 39. Now this, this we're going to bounce around a little bit, but, uh, but Paul, Paul invoked and appealed to his citizenship as a Roman on at least two occasions. And it gives us not just, this is not just, you know, me telling you what Roman citizens, what rights Roman citizens had. You can actually see it in the text of Scripture. 21 verse 39. Here's what Paul says. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. I and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. All right, so that tells you where he's from. That tells you why he says he's a citizen, or that, that he states that he is a citizen. Look at chapter 22, if you would, verse number 27. says this, Then the chief captain came and said unto, unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? Now, remember, you see Roman, you might think, you know, he's referring to like where he lives or something, but it's, to be a Roman was meant that you were a citizen. Art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered with a great, he answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. So this captain is saying, I had to pay a lot of money to get my citizenship. You think that's weird. Exactly, that's not the way we do it here. But in Rome, that's the way you did it. If, if you were not born a citizen, you could obtain citizenship. And it says, obtained I this freedom. You know why? Because with that citizenship came a bunch of rights. And you also didn't have to pay tax. <laughs> so there's a certain level of freedom. We need to get back to that. Say amen right there. <laughs> we need to get back to this, all right? Um, so he said, with a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, listen to this. Paul counters that with this. But I was free born. In other words, I was born a citizen. I didn't pay anything. In other words, I'm, a, I'm not a naturalized citizen. I am a born citizen. And of course, we know for in our, in our land, you cannot, there are certain offices you can't hold primarily the presidency unless you're a natural born citizen. So there is a difference there. Verse 29. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid because after he knew he was a Roman and because, notice what it says, and because he had bound him. You see that? They, so they had, they had bound him up and they were ready to whip Paul to a bloody pulp. And so they let him go and then they were afraid because they had bound him. You know why? Because they have violated his rights as a Roman. A Roman could not be bound or imprisoned without a trial. So they did not they, did, they violated his right as a Roman. You can see it in this verse. Look at chapter 25. Verse number 11. This is another right that a Roman had, a Roman citizen. Paul says this, If I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, 
No man may deliver me unto them. Notice this last, last sentence. I appeal unto Caesar. He had, the, he had the right to do that. You know what? Right after that, verse 12, then Festus. And this is a high official. This is not a lowly official here. Festus. When he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. Notice, even a high official, listen, deferred, dared not violate the, citizen, the, the citizenship rights of Paul. One little old man, probably half blind. They say his, his thorn in the flesh, a lot, a lot of people think his blindness. Galatians kind of hints at that a little bit. Here's a, here's a man who probably is, he's mean to look at. That is, he, he, he's kind of base. He's, kind of, he, he's not like a strapping lad that, you know, that commands attention or anything like that. That's how he describes himself. And here they are respecting his appeal to Caesar, Roman citizenship. All right, look at, uh, that was verse 11. Look at verse number 16. Now this is um, Festus speaking to uh, King Agrippa. Festus says, To whom I answered, It is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die before that he, that he which is accused have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. See what I just said? So I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. <laughs> These Roman citizens had rights. Now, go back, to, go back to chapter 16. I hope that gives you a little bit of background now to what's happening here. Okay? Paul lived in a day, and he's operating his ministry in a place in the Roman Empire that is in some ways very similar to the uh, political structure where we live. Think about it now. Think about it. The government in Paul's day did, for Paul, because of his citizenship and status, the government did not have liberty to use its power against citizens unlawfully in Rome. Okay? The government, like ours, was limited in its power toward citizens. Now, once you got up to the level of Caesar, now you're in, a, you're in a, another level. You're in a God-king type of situation. But even then, even then, Caesar was somewhat limited at different points in the Roman Empire. But here, here that's, the same, that's the same thing we have. We live in a, we live in a, we live in a society in which... Our government, and again, I want to, I want to, I, I think a lot of us have this idea that anytime we read the Bible, it was just everybody in the Bible lived where there was a king and there were these rulers and whatever they said go, went and nobody could say anything. And if you said anything, they'd kill you. And that was certainly true in some cases, especially primarily in the Old Testament. But Paul doesn't live in the Old Testament. Paul lives in the Roman Empire and he is a citizen in the Roman Empire. And he lived in a society like ours, our government is limited, just like this, in its powers over the citizens. Okay, in the same way. Number two, look at this. The government sometimes, in Paul's day, abused the rights of the citizens that it was supposed to protect. And this is exactly what happens in our day, right? You think about, you think about, now I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to get political, but I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to say what I'm about to say. But 
You think about what happened with January 6th. How there are people that are literally people that are rotting in prison. Rotting in prison and will be for years for doing almost nothing. I mean, had the, had the book thrown at them for almost nothing. It has nothing to do with whether they were right or wrong, whether the election was legitimate. has nothing to do with that. It's the double standard whereby our government does not respect the rights of its citizens. And at times, and we see it more and more, steamrolls it. If they can get a court to go along with them, they just steamroll the rights of citizens in our country. That, that absolutely happens. It's no different than Paul. Right? You see, what are they doing here? Steamrolling Paul's rights. Okay? Number three. Though the government, though the government is often considered the power, remember, the powers that be in Romans chapter 13, the powers that be are ordained of God. That's what it says in verse 1. The government is often considered the power by Christians. Right? In a society like Paul's, like ours, Paul asserted his higher rights that eclipsed the power of the government. Now, now hear me. In this society like ours, there is something that was above the power of the magistrate and of Festus, we, we read a verse like that, and the king of King Agrippa. The individual right, the individual citizen had rights that eclipsed and superseded the right of the government official. This is the way. We, this is where we live now. You know. It, you know. Of course, I'm speaking in an ideal world, right? Uh, there's. You know. You think of a police officer. And we we thank the Lord for police officers. But if a police officer does something, you know, and they they'll do it. You know, if they police officers are just human beings, and sometimes they use their power wrongfully, and when they do, it's wrong. And, uh, but they can give you a very hard time if, if you, you get on their nerves, right? And there's, a, there's a, 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 a method to have a redress of grievances and to deal with that problem, but it can make your life unpleasant in the meantime. Now, why am I saying all this? I want you to see a similarity because I want you to see what Paul did, okay? Notice. Paul and Silas had these rights. These rights were abused. But did they resist? Did they resist by force? No, they were swept up in this anger, in this tumult, in this mob, and they were beaten. They didn't, apparently didn't assert their rights, and probably more, more, more than likely, they didn't even have a chance. And it was already, it was, it was a done. They beat them, you know, until they were satisfied and threw them in prison. And they didn't have a chance to say a peep. Now, there is a time right before Paul is flogged in Jerusalem that Paul does look at, the, look at him and says, hey, are you supposed to be whipping a Roman who's not condemned? And he spoke up. He probably learned his lesson from here. If I, you know, he's in Philippi, he's, he's thinking in Jerusalem, you know, if in Philippi I'd opened my mouth a little bit sooner, I might have spared <laughs> all these stripes. And in Jerusalem, he learned his lesson because he spoke up beforehand. And it stopped just like that. But notice he did not resist by force. He asserted his right verbally, but not by force. Look, you, th you think maybe that's a subtle difference, but that is an important difference. 
And as I said, in Jerusalem, in Acts 22, he asserted his rights as, as a citizen before the scourging began. Now, here's what I want you to understand. It is not wrong for you as a believer to assert your rights as a citizen of the country in which you live. You got to remember, the power of the government, you know, Romans 13, the powers that be is vested in the Constitution of the United States of America, not in a man, not in a president, not in a governor. In our country, now, all I'm trying to, this, this wouldn't necessarily apply in every nation of the world, but we live in a society that's similar. And so, as much as you have power to use, to assert your rights as a, an American citizen, you're allowed to do that biblically. Else Paul was sinning. You know, we have this idea, well, you know, the government said we got to do it. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you think about COVID and all the things that went on with that, you know, and there was a big debate. Even in churches, church, some churches were closing. The, you know, certain governors were saying, well, this church, we ought to shut, you're, you're required to shut it down. And some, listen now, some of us were saying, uh, some of us, I say us, I wasn't pastoring at that point, but, but some people were saying, wait, uh, you did not pass a law and the, the, the Constitution of the United States and or the Constitution of our state requires that you pass a law. They asserted their rights and they said, we're not closing because this is unlawful. And you know what? They had, a, they had a leg to stand on. Now, did that stop the government from punishing people like that or making their life miserable? No. Now, it's one thing if you bring AR-15s to your church and dare the police to come in and shut it down. That's different. But the, the assertion of one's rights as a citizen, there is nothing in the world wrong with that. And really, in COVID, was a good example of sometimes where Christians actually had to do that. Because again, the supreme law of where we live is the Constitution and the rights that it recognizes that we own from, we have from God. And this is very similar to what Paul faced. And it's okay to assert it. You know, I sure hope that, and I know, you know, whenever COVID was going around and we made decisions to have online services and that was more for safety, not knowing exactly what was going to happen, but it was definitely wasn't because there, there, some governor or some person was saying you can't have church, but that did happen. That did happen. What would we do in that case? You see, this is exactly what we see here. This is exactly what we see here. And so... This is a good kind of um, case study for us to know because it is difficult sometimes to know where to draw the line and how to resist when, when injustice by our nation is done to us on the, on the local level. So hopefully that's, a, hopefully that's instructive to us. Now let's keep on going a little bit further down. We talked about the joy of the... Uh, uh, in verse 25, the joy of Paul and Silas, though they were in great pain and suffering at midnight. And notice what the, at the end of that verse it says, and they sing praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. All right, in verse 26, there's an earthquake, and everyone's, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And then verse 27, And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried out with a loud, cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. We are all here. 
Now, let me, um, I was looking for a place in my notes that I had written. Uh, well, we'll just keep going. I have a question, though. Why didn't the prisoners flee? You look at commentaries, they just kind of skip it. <laughs> Why didn't they leave? Anybody have an idea? Just a, This is a guess, because the Bible doesn't say so, but this is a guess. Why, you understand why Paul and Silas left. They had, a, they had a leg to stand on. They were Romans, you know. They were probably condemned prisoners that had no rights at all in there, slaves or whatnot, you know, people that had done the crime maybe. But why didn't they leave? Could it be, I have no idea. Did they all get saved? Because it does say the prisoners heard them, maybe. Uh, could it be that there were very few of them? I don't know, could be that. Um, I don't actually know the reason. But what, here, here's, here's my theory, and you guys can challenge it if you want. Why did the prisoners not leave? Could it be that Paul and Silas convinced them not to leave? By saying, stay put. If you leave, this man will die. This, this, this jailer will die. Maybe there was just a handful. If you, in fact, if you've been to Philippi, have you seen the prison? Is it is it huge? Yeah, it's not that big though, is it? No, I mean we're it's not big at all. It's not big at all. It's like the size of a room from what the pictures I saw. So you're you're not talking about like a huge a huge you know like you know clink somewhere. You know you're not talking about that. You're talking about a hand, you're probably a handful of people, you know, a couple dozen or whatever. So, bigger than Mayberry? Oh, the Mayberry prison. <laughs> anyway, you'll get me off track now. <laughs> I, my personal opinion is that Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul and Silas, there I did it again, probably had a hand in making sure they stayed put. Whether they got saved or not, I don't, I don't have any idea, but this. It's fairy tale idea that you know we assume that well they they all trusted in, in Christ that night and so they they wanted you know that's nice and nice in an ideal world but really you know that's that seems to me unlikely it seems to me more than likely that Paul was looking out for that jailer because it was it was true that if someone was entrusted in in Roman Empire if someone was entrusted with prisoners and they lost track of those prisoners they could be put to death and receive the punishment that was given, that would, would have been given to the prisoners. And there's an example of this in Acts chapter 12, verse 19, when Peter was, was in, locked up in prison and, by Herod, and Herod was going to kill him. Remember, we studied this. And after, uh, when, when the angel brought the prisoners, uh, brought uh, Peter out of the prison, Herod examined the prisoners and put them to death, the, uh, the guards, and then put them to death. So there's an example of this thing happening. So this man's going to kill himself because he figures they're gone, I'm dead anyway. I'd rather die this way than whatever they're going to do to me. So we don't know exactly what, if, what would have happened what the kind, if they were you know, low-level criminals or death row inmates. We don't know what kind of people are here, but what we do know is this man believed in verse 27 that him falling on his own sword would, is preferable to his facing whatever punishment was coming. 
So whatever that was, it was severe. I like what Paul says in verse 28. Do thyself no harm. Listen, this is the Christian response to suicide. Do thyself no harm. Do thyself no harm. Now, just as a brief overview, there's three main characters in the Scripture that committed suicide. Three men who are wicked or ungodly. Of course, the most prominent, the one that's most well-known is, of course, Judas Iscariot, the uh, betrayer of the Lord. But you also have King Saul committed suicide. You have Ahithophel, David's counselor, when David refused his counsel, committed suicide. These are not high points in the Scripture. These are low points. But when you look at the people of God who love God and follow God, it is not that they do not get to a place where they despair of life. That is not the case. Many of you have been in a place, some of you I should say, I can't speak to all of you, but I can imagine that some of you have been in a place where you thought to yourself, I don't even want to live. It would be better to die than to live. Some of you have been there. In Numbers eleven fifteen, Moses asked God to kill him. Moses now. In 1 Kings 19.4, Elijah requested God that he might die. Well, that's not very spiritual. Uh, Elijah was a, was a, a spiritual man. <laughs> Job 3, verse 21, Job longed for death. In Jonah 4.8, Jonah wished in himself to die. 2 Corinthians 1.18, coming to the New Testament, Paul was in such dire straits at times in his ministry that he despaired even of life. And of course, the most important example of someone in this circumstance was the Lord Jesus himself. In the temptation by the devil now, the devil took Jesus up to, a high, to the pinnacle of the temple and he tempted him. Here's what he said. Cast thyself down. And he quoted his scripture. See, this is what the Bible says. So if you cast yourself down, he was trying to trick the Lord into committing suicide. You know, if the devil cannot kill you as a believer, he will try to get you to kill yourself by telling you lies. But God's answer to suicide is always do thyself no harm. Do thyself no harm. Listen now. Please listen to me. Satan himself is behind any thought to take one's life. For he is a murderer from the beginning. Think about Satan's purpose. What could be better for the devil than that a person who is unbelieving, like this man, snuff out his own life and seal his eternity in the lake of fire. Nothing would make him happier. That's serious business. The Lord says, do thyself no harm. Listen, in Christ, 
there is ever hope, even to an unbeliever. As long as we're breathing to that person who is yet unsaved, yet unconverted, as long as he's breathing, this offer of salvation is extended to him. Do thyself no harm. But what about for a believer? Can a believer come to a place where he wants to end his life? We saw several examples of godly men, godly people who were at that point. But notice they did not lift their hand against themselves. They might have prayed that God would do it and in grace and in mercy, God didn't answer. (laughs) But remember, for the believer... There is never a time that someone who is in Christ is totally without hope and in total despair. That cannot happen. The world would soon would sooner pass away than a believer would lose all hope and despair completely. Now we might get to a low point through circumstances that happen that where we don't want to live anymore. That might be true. But never should a believer think or say or believe that their hope is totally lost. For a believer, listen now, the love and the grace of God is upon us at every moment of every day without intermission. And even at our worst moment, there is always a glorious future for the believer. Think about that. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. No matter how dark the tunnel is, there's always light there. Always for a child of God. And for one who's not a child of God, the light is Jesus. The hope is Jesus. In this world, there's not hope. It's despair. It's darkness. It's blackness. But there is only to look to Christ. Do thyself no harm. That's the Lord's answer for suicide. And so we go down to verse number, as we wrap it up here. He says, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, not just head knowledge, acknowledging who Jesus is, acknowledging that He is real, that He existed, but this is leaning upon Christ, trusting on Him, laying one's very hope for His eternity upon Jesus and what He has done. That's what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice it says, and thy house. Verse 32, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. Listen, as, they, as the old times used to say, I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a salvation that didn't affect your house. A salvation, any, any quote salvation that does not affect someone's home, that is one's home life, is a counterfeit salvation. Any salvation that does not affect one's home life, that is, the way they are in private, is fake. And if that's your salvation, check up. 
If all our salvation does is brings us to church and puts on a happy face, then we go live like we ever always were back at home, it's fake. Can't, you just mark it down, it's fake. It is not going to take you to heaven. You might have been confused. You might have been misunderstood. You might have thought you were sincere. It's not real. This man was changed. The man who threw these men into the inner prison, made their feet fast in the stocks, is now, is now falling down before them. Think of the change. Before there was arrogance. Now there's humility. He falls down. He listens to the Word of God. He washes their stripes. He's baptized even at that very hour. They probably, you know, this is it's funny because, uh, well, let me get back to that. He, he gets baptized and his, his whole family. He sets meat before them. He rejoices. He's believing in them with all, he's believing in Christ with all of his house. You think of the total and radical change. This is the real deal. This, listen, this salvation affected his home in private. It's funny because in verse, verse number 33, I have to say this. We already saw in verse number 34 that these people that were baptized were believers because in his, those in his house, in verse 34, they were believing in God. You see that? So they were believers when they were baptized, which overthrows what, what we assumed about Lydia in verse number 15. But verse 33, Albert Barnes, who's a, you know, I think he's a Presbyterian, he said, I'll read it, and he took the same, took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, all his straightway. He said, well, surely in his house and in the prison, there wouldn't be enough water to get baptized, so they probably used another mode beside immersion. Did, did you, when you, uh, in the, uh, the area where the market was, the, uh, in Philippi, to the city wall, how far was that? I mean, just, like, just give us an idea. To, to, would, it go, would it go across the street to that, that uh, business? Yeah. Yeah. So, are we talking a mile? Half mile? Probably not. Probably not even a quarter. Not even a quarter mile. And right on the other side of the wall, I looked at the map, right on the other side of the wall is the river. Uh, Where Lydia was is just right on the other side of the wall. It's not that far. You can walk there in just a little bit, like a few minutes. It's not far at all. They just had no water and just had nowhere to get water. And there's like a river right there. I've already been baptized, so. Huh? <laughs> Ain't that funny? Ironic. But you see what, what people put, insert into the Bible? Well, it's probably, you know, it had to be, you know, it had to sprinkle. It had to be, I mean, because they didn't have very much water. <sighs> okay, let's keep going. All right. <laughs> All right, verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants, saying, let these men go. And the keeper of the prison told them this saying to Paul and the magistrates, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. And Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned. There it is again. Notice, they were beaten, not allowed, corporal punishment as Roman citizens. They were uncondemned, not allowed as, as a Roman citizen. 
and have cast us into prison. Again, not allowed without a trial. And now do they thrust us out privily? See, they wanted to hide what they had done. Paul doesn't let them. Let them come themselves and fetch us out. He wants, he, listen, Paul wants to be vindicated. He's been openly and publicly beaten. I mean, the name of Christ. I mean, when, when someone is a Christian, when a Christian is publicly beaten, it looks like they're a criminal. He wants that to be paraded out so that everybody knows that he didn't do anything wrong. You know what? Now he has leverage. You know why? He has a way that he can what I call white mail. Whereas blackmail is you, you get dirt on somebody and you threaten them to get them to do what you want. In this case, the dirt he has is what they should have done. They're, he's using the wrong he, that, was, that, that they did to him to get them to do right. White male, I call it white male. You see, listen to this, because these men could be in big trouble. I'm, I'm not talking little trouble, big trouble. Listen to this. The punishment, this is a quotation from a historical source. The punishment appointed for those who abrogated or transgressed the Valerian law was death. and the confiscation of his property. The Emperor Claudius deprived the inhabitants of Rhodes of freedom for having crucified some Roman citizens. Think about that. Oops, you should have checked. These men could be in big trouble. I mean, their life totally turned upside down if they even kept their life. And Paul has that to dangle over their head. You notice he asserts his rights for good. Now, here's, here's the way this, this worked out. Verse 38 says, And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them. Notice it says desired them, not told them, desired them. You know why? Because a Roman citizen couldn't be ex expelled from a Roman city. So they asked them to leave. You see how precise that is they asked him to leave and they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia when they had seen the brethren they comforted them and departed but notice now think about this this is not original with me this is what a commentator I read and I thought it was an interesting point so now Paul and Silas have leverage over these men because they have been wronged and their rights have been violated as Romans. And now all they have to do is take that up the chain, as they say in the military, take it up the chain and those men's lives are totally destroyed. That much power. So of course, they're not going to do that because they're not vindictive. Because the problem, and the reason, they, now they could have legally, but should they as a Christian, as a believer, when the problem has been resolved. Now, it's one thing if the problem is persisted. But in this case, they've come, they've basically apologized, if you will, and they're not going to give them any more trouble because if they do, they know that their lives are over, right? So now he has leverage. So what's he going to do? Paul's going to use the leverage to protect the church. From now on, anybody in Philippi that associates with Paul is under protection. You know why? White male. Because if they molested those Christians who associate with Paul, Paul's got dirt. 
Paul's got dirt. And they, it's not that Paul, now they don't know that Paul's not going to do anything. They, they don't know that. So he just lets them, let it stew for a little, while, a little while. And that's a powerful thing. But you notice how the Lord protected Paul, his liberty, and probably by extension, those of that, of that church, that little church now in Philippi. So the Lord used the violation of Paul's rights likely to protect those people that associated with Paul. Because there are times later in the, in the, the epistles and things and acts where those that associate with Paul are afraid because of their association with Paul. But this is not a case. In fact, association with him is protection. <laughs> so we see how the Lord worked, worked that out. And you know what? This church, I mean, this church, it starts small. We think of when he went over there with the Macedonian call, come, out, come over to Macedonia and help us. And there was just one lady her family, and then this lady that had the devil. I mean, the, you know, Paul cast her out, but did she get saved? We don't know. And then you have the issue with the Philippian jailer in his house. So you have two families, and maybe some other people had trusted in Christ. In the meantime, we don't really know how long he was there or whatnot. But uh, what we do know is now there's a small group in this small city, and the Lord's going to use them, in fact, use them to do great things not the least of which is to provide us with an example in, in particular in Philippians chapter 4, which serves as a great example to us concerning missions. And so uh, what, a, what the Lord is starting to do in Macedonia is what started as a small work is going to get into a, go into a bigger work. But Paul had to be faithful at that which was small to begin with. Let's pray.